It's really good because I get the dog walk over with in the morning. So I don't feel guilty about not walking the dogs because I was raised Catholic. So there's a yep. lot of guilt. Yeah, <laughs> pack, your bags, you go, pack your bags. You're going on a guilt trip. Oh, you know, totally. so going, all of, for everything. You feel, if you don't feel, we're going to make you feel guilty for not feeling guilty. It's like, no, please. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Livian Smith. She is with Next Generation based out of Coquitlam, BC. She's been a broker for 17 years. And I have to say, this was an extremely inspiring interview for me. Livian was very real about the struggles that she has had in the past with drugs, about being abandoned by her parents, and even how she was removed from her family's will and not even told about it until after her mom had passed away, which is an absolutely insane story. But how all of that led Livian to do some serious inner work, get focused, and she absolutely exploded her business. So she'd been in the business for 17 years, kind of hovering around 10 to 12 million a year. And then after this happened, and she decided that instead of being a victim, that she was going to take action on it. Last year, she funded 60 million, which is absolutely phenomenal. And it's not about the money. Like, I don't want to make it about the money. But what I think is most inspiring is that she got really clear on her why. And she took ownership of the situation. And amazing, amazing story. I think you're going to love this conversation with Olivia and check it out. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform. Very easy to use for borrowers. And for brokers, there's lots of cool features built in like smart docs that automatically figures out what documents your client needs. It's also got smart submission notes. So when you go to hit submit, it's pulling the data from your application so that the lender doesn't have to go look for it all or the underwriter. And it's integrated with Lender Spotlight so you can search guidelines and rates and very, very slick. Check it out at finmo.ca. In the Ask the Expert segment today, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom talking about the three most common misconceptions of reverse mortgages. Check out this conversation I have with Livian. Hey, Livian, welcome to the show. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me today. Hey, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a taxi driver, an event planner, a financial advisor, a counselor, a housekeeper, aka I'm a mom. I have two kids. They're 31 and 16. And I thought about this question, actually, because I was like, who am I? What do I do? I think my last 31 years of my life have been sort of all around my kids and my business. Right. And when you said taxi driver, I was like, really? I'm like, oh. <laughs> but now again, I, I say I'm, I'm an Uber driver and my kids don't ever give me tips or good ratings. They're just, they're just like, so we had chatted before. So you've been in the business 17 years. How did you get into the mortgage business? I started my career in the late 90s as an administrative assistant for Capital Direct Lending Corporation. And I left there in 2001 my life kind of took a turn and I hit rock bottom and lost everything. I was penniless and homeless. And then I took my real estate course in 2004. I think I had like $5,000 left to my name paid. I think it was like $500 at that time or $700 to take the course. And I was going to be a realtor. I'm like, I'm going to be a realtor. I don't want to go back into the mortgage industry. And I found out I was pregnant. So then I'm like, okay, obviously I can't be a realtor because that's too much money and too much work. And I think my love always was in the mortgage industry because I loved that job with Capital Direct. I just didn't make very much money. So I wanted to make as much money as the other brokers did in the office. Right. Okay. So when you say you hit rock bottom, so what year would that have been? Rock bottom for me was like 2004. 
for was like 2003 2004 and so you said you were homeless so did you mean you were renting what specifically well, you it's that? kind of a really long story so i won't really go into all the details but i was married until 2002 and then we divorced we owned three houses i sold everything bought him out and basically lived on the money for the next three years and partied my face off did lots of drugs drank and then with my last $5,000, I was renting and running out of money. And then I ended up moving into a friend of mine's renting his basement suite with my 14-year-old daughter and then found out I was pregnant there. So I had to move back to my parents' house that right. I haven't lived with since I was 14. Right. And how old were you at that time? I was 31, 31. Right. Okay, so you had a lot of like just stuff happen and bam. And then I was going to be a realtor. Thank goodness you weren't because I think I know, you're right? more stronger. Like, uh, like, no, no, kid, we're just kidding for our realtor friends. But okay, so then you hit this kind of inflection point. You got into the mortgage business. How did that go? Walk me through what happened there. So like, was it easy right away? You had some background in mortgages previously. So what was your experience initially? Well, my background was an administrative assistant. I knew the mortgage terminology. I knew how to look at a file. I knew how to look at an application. I knew how to look at a credit bureau, but that's where it ended because Capital Direct back in those days was only doing private lending. So mm -hmm. I only knew private lending and I didn't know how to get business. And my circle of influence, you know, there were a lot of people that were partying, doing drugs. I was, you know, involved with a drug dealer for a boyfriend for a short time. So I didn't really have any experience except for being able to do the administrative part of it. So it was really challenging in the beginning because I think I funded one mortgage from May 2005 until the end of the year. And I wow. think I made like $4,000. That was a deal that one of my mentor, he wasn't really a mentor. He just basically was like, oh, you know how to do mortgages. You worked at Capital Direct. So here you go. Here's an application. This is the system we use. And it was Morty at that time. I don't know if you ever used it. I used it, yeah. It was a short time before Phylogics was introduced. It was like one long application, right? You just keep yeah. scrolling down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't web-based. It was on your computer. Mm -hmm. So it was a program that you downloaded on the computer. It was so dinosaur. I remember the first application that I filled in. And I was working with Chris Kayas. He's one of the co-founders of Dominion Lending Centers. Yeah, and he had a Chris. little boutique yeah. mortgage brokerage called Absolute Rate Mortgages. And so I'm like, this is awesome. This is going to be great. All these realtors out of his office, I'm going to market to them. Well, I didn't market to them because those were all Chris's realtors to market to. And I remember I put in the application, I sent it off to TD to get approved and it got a decline. And I messaged his assistant, Stephanie Doring. And I was like, what's the deal? Why doesn't this mortgage fit? Like, why did they decline it? She's like, Livian, their credit is bad. And I was like, well, what's the big deal? They've got 50% equity. The bank's never going to lose on this one. She's like, right. no, no, no. That's not how this game works. <laughs> so I had to learn a lending because I only knew private at that point. Equity lending so, where it's just yeah. look at your position of like, hey, can we get out of this and keep losing your shirt? Okay. So what point did you realize, okay, I can make a career to this. I'm curious. Like how long did that take? Um, I don't really know if I ever thought about doing anything else at that point. Like I moved back in with my parents, so I didn't have to pay rent or anything. So all I really had to worry about was my car payment mm -hmm. and get and taking care of my kids because my dad was taking care of everything else with regards to the bills. So I just kind of soldiered through. I didn't really think about that. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so we've got some other parts of this I'll come back to. So okay. personally, I've always loved quotes. They're memorable, they're portable. Can you share a quote that's really had an impact on your life or business? Well, one quote that I have it up on a couple of my portals that, you know, like First National Portal and my TD portal is be yourself, everyone else is taken. It's yeah. Oscar Wilde. You know, I used to really, really care about what people thought about me. And I was really lost in that mindset as I've matured emotionally over the years. And I focused on changing my mindset and my personal growth has improved. I think that this is a really good quote for me, you know, just better mindset, higher quality referral partners. And it's taken a really long time to get to that point. I also have another one. I like this one. Even if you're on the right track, you'll be run over if you just sit there. So basically like keep moving, keep moving, lift your head up, you know, one foot in front of the other. My business won't grow if I don't move and shake. Right. I've never heard that one. I quite like that quote. The Oscar Wilde one I've heard before, but... That's really, really good. So how have you applied either of these quotes to your business? That's really tough for me to answer. I think it's just more, just keep moving, right? Keep right. moving, just get up, dust yourself off, you know, just with a lot of the other things that have been going on in my life. I equate my personal growth with my success in business because that's one of the biggest things that I've been working on in the last two years is my personal growth. Mm -hmm. And my business has grown because of it, I believe. And some other things, but that's the biggest one for me. Yeah, your external world reflects your internal world. And so yeah. if you don't upgrade the internal, the external is going to follow that. So I think that's really, really good. And I mean, even the fact that at the beginning of this, you said, be yourself, everyone else already taken. Your openness to share your struggles and some of the things you've already gone through with like, hey, I had this drugs and stuff. And so I love that you're just like, hey, just be real. Nobody's perfect. We're all perfectly imperfect. And hopefully we learn from it and there's growth on the other side of it. So can you share something that you failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? Failed at? Well, I think I failed at so many different things. And I felt at times that I failed at life because I was so, you know, so broken. I don't think that there was any one thing that I failed at. You know, the thing with me is there's a lot of things that I haven't tried. I didn't try because I was too scared or I didn't finish something because it was too hard or I procrastinated. So I don't think that there was any one thing that I actually failed at that I could even think about. Right. Okay. You had something when we were chatting before, you had said to me something about how you had this goal to always just break $100,000, you know, in a year as a mortgage broker. So how long did that take for that to actually happen for you? I think it was 2018. That was how many years in? Because you started in what, 2000 and... 2005. Yeah. So that was, was like 13 years. 13 years it took. Yeah. 12 or 13 years it took me to break 100. To break 100. And then, so what was the volume that year in 2018? Do you remember what was approximately... I think it was about 11 or 12 million. So what's happened in the last few years? Because last year you had like a crazy jump. So walk me through sort of some of those numbers. And I want to dive into kind of some of the things that, you know, put you down this path. 2020 was 15 million. So basically you're at 11, then you got up to 15. But at that point, that was your best year ever, right? Yeah, point, I think it was like 11, 12, then 15 and up to 2020. So 18, 19, 20 was like just slow progression. Okay. So then tell me about 2021. What was your volume last year? 2021, we went back, you know, like Dominion Lending Centers has this thing internally where they track your volume for you every month. And it's based on when you get paid on a deal, right? So based on that, it was 57 million. And we went back and we did the calculations based on real numbers for like January to December. It was actually 60 million. Right. You went from 15 million to 60 million, which is a monster jump. I mean, the market did not do four times. So 
What was going on in your personal life or what was the switch that flipped in your head? Because you were, for me, I see a person who's kind of, you know, like the little train that could, I think I can just keep chugging along, chug, chug, and you keep making incremental improvements. And then boom, there's like this huge spike that happened. So can you tell me what was happening at that time? Well, okay. So 2020, when the pandemic hit, just before the pandemic hit, I was thinking I was probably going to do about 18 to 20 million because yeah. the year previous we'd done 15. And, you know, I was consistently had business going, my board was looking pretty healthy and then the pandemic hit. And then I lost quite a bit of those files. They ended up renewing with their existing lender. Just, you know, there was a lot of things that happened. So I think there was like about one or $2 million in volume that I lost that just was gone. Uh-huh. And then everything stopped. And so I just went into a little bit of panic mode. And then I just started calling all my clients and it's like, is there anything I can do for you? Like, you know, this is hard for all of us, but you know, deferrals. And I was just on the phone with my clients. And then I joined a mentor group, a newbie mentorship group. Cause I thought I need to just start from the beginning and move myself up and do some of the things that I haven't done in my business up until this point, which were making the daily phone calls, connecting with clients, uh, connecting with referral partners. So I started to do that. So that was in 2020. And then by the end of the year in 2020, I got 15 million, which I think was pretty good because the first half of the year was five. There was, yeah, there was a definitely a dip for that first yeah. few months. It was like everybody, their collective breath, like that's it. Like we all, yeah, we're done. You know, working at Subway. No more you know? mortgages. I've got to find yeah. something else to do now, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, or reduce my spending. So the first half I did five, the second half I did 10. So then I was like, okay, this is going pretty good. And then at the end of the year in 2020, my mother died. Well, there was a few other people that passed away. Like my friend passed away. One of my best friends passed away. Mark Lalonde, who was mentoring me, he passed away. Uh And then my mother passed away in November. And I found out that I had been disinherited. Well, I knew that there was a trust fund that I had been disinherited from, but I was under the impression that my family and my sister's family were still going to split the inheritance. That's what I had in my mind. And that was obviously not true because then in November, after my mother died and we did her service, I was told that I was getting nothing, zero. So I went through a two month period where I just was in this deep, dark hole. And I describe it like my heart was black. I was angry. I was hurt. I was feeling abandoned because there was a history of abandonment with my parents in the past. And I did what I had to do because I changed my mindset again, because I could no longer count on that for my retirement. No, I no longer have that. I had been a single mom for many, many years and I didn't have a lot of savings. In fact, I had very little savings. The only asset I really had was a home, like a condo that I bought in 2017 And so I just kicked myself into overdrive. That's what I did. I started calling all my clients. I started reaching out to my referral partners. I started building those relationships. I was listening to podcasts. I was changing my mindset around personal development. I was starting to grow as a human. And then I was starting to attract the same mindset of people and the same caliber of realtors and lawyers and people that wanted to work with me and liked me as a person. And Mm -hmm. that changed my business. Right, right. So when we chatted before, you had said, I sort of had this in the back of your mind. You always knew you had this sort of, not a safety net, but you were like, okay, well, something will come at the end here. Your parents had quite a bit of money that was in your family from your you know, grandfather or whatever. And then to find it all of a sudden, nope, you're getting none of that money. 
and you're like, oh crap, I could either A, you know, like you did for two months, go into this despair where it's like, oh, or now I've got to get out of it. What am I going to do about it? This just happened to me. You had to make a choice. So how did you get out of that hole? I could see some people going in there, not coming back out, like just literally going into the poor me, you know, like this sucks, no fair, but none of that's going to help you. You got to have your like moment to grieve, but like, how did you get out of that? I'm curious, like, what specifically do you think helped you? I think it was a lot to do with divine intervention. I think it's because I had done so much growth previous to my mother dying that, you know, I had no relationship with my parents for eight years. And that went on for a lot of my life from the time I was 14 until my mother died. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I spent a lot of years when I didn't have a relationship with my parents working on myself. And the reason why I stopped talking to them was because it was such a negative and toxic environment that I wouldn't have done all that growth. You know, I look back on it and I think, you know, if I hadn't have left the relationship just so that I could inherit this money, I would probably be in a much different spot right now emotionally than where I am. So I just pulled myself out of it because I had to. And also, I mean, it took me a couple of months. I was not the nicest person for those two months. Like I cried and cried and cried. I was a mess for two months. I can just remember crying in the shower, crying while I'm working, crying and yelling at everybody and being super nasty to my boyfriend and my kids. And they got the worst of me. I was nice to everybody else because I had to run my business still. But but yeah, underneath the surface, it was challenging. Yeah, like they were all my punching bags. And I've apologized a lot of times and I know that they completely understand it. And, you know, I was listening to audiobooks. I was listening to Robin Sharma, the Victim to Hero podcast. I listened to Darren Hardy about, you know, the compound effect. I listened to that book. I'd read it already in the past, but I listened to it two more times. And I just made little baby steps. And then I just kind of woke up one day when I was listening to one of the Robin Sharma podcasts. And it was from victim to hero. And it was number one of five series of a YouTube video or a podcast. Something just clicked for me and I just stopped. Like, I just kind of was like, all right, Livian, you need to move forward now and you need to get past this and you just need to like put one foot in front of the other and you're going to get through this. And that's how I did it. Right. And then, okay. So at what point were you able to shake, like you said, because if you have a bad mindset, you will attract other like bad, you know, relationships and people into your life and your work will be more challenging so at what point do you feel like it will you're starting to actually hit your stride because i mean again you almost four times your volume right so what did it start to feel like okay i got a plan i'm gonna take action on this i think if i had to look back it would be in about february of 2021 and then it progressed. And then by April, like we really shot to the moon because my assistant who I'd have for five years, she got her license. Right. Okay. So that's when it really took off for you guys. And then have you been able to forgive the situation or where, I guess, how do you feel about that? Well, I'm working on it, you know. Right, not I, that, yeah, I'm not saying this. Okay. It's like, yeah, you know, but. For the first time, actually through the whole process, going back to about like December or January of 2021. So a little over a year later after my mom died. I actually felt not bad. I don't like using that term, but I felt empathy towards my mother because of the road that she had in her life, how sick she'd been emotionally and physically for many, many years. Like she had kidney failure at age 48 and had to go on dialysis for the rest of her life until she died at mm -hmm. age 67. So almost 20 years of dialysis. And so I had one moment of clarity of going, okay, she wasn't the nicest person to me. She was, it was this, it's so funny. It was the same thing. Like she was so nice to everybody else and everyone just loved her, but she was 
horrible to myself and my sister. So I'm like, okay, well, hopefully I don't carry on that trend, you know, because obviously she was miserable when she was not nice to us. And I was miserable when I wasn't nice to my kids and my boyfriend. So I had that one moment and they're getting more and more. So I had that one moment of severe empathy for her because of the path that she had and what had happened to her in her past. But I forgive her because I know that she did the best that she could. It wasn't good enough, Mm -hmm. but it was the best that she could. And I understand that and I get that, but it still hurts me. It's not in my mind on a consistent basis. Like it's not a 24 seven. I only don't think about it when I'm sleeping. It's not like that anymore. It's not like an ache that you carry all the time. It's just when you think about it, you go, oh, you know, it would have been nice if it was different. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. if it, you had a functional, healthy relationship with your mom instead of what you end up having. Yeah. So, okay, you made this massive shift. You had this kind of really bad thing happen to you. You know, the surprise, you went in a hole, you came out of it, you had an amazing year. So what kind of things are you doing now to kind of protect this new mindset and way of thinking that you have? So what things are you doing to like, you know, keep yourself on the good path? I got a Peloton. <laughs> Oh, nice. Like the bike or the (laughs) treadmill? I got the treadmill. I got the bike. I got the bike. And okay, so one thing I'm doing is I'm trying to wake up earlier in the morning. I was a wake up at 9am kind of girl and roll over and go into my office in my pajamas. So now I get up between five and six, work out on the Peloton for up to 45 to 50 minutes. And then I shower, put on a little bit of mascara, get dressed, and I walk the dogs. And then I start my day around 830. So How many days a week do you do that? I do that five days a week. When did you start doing this? How long ago? Well, I've been trying to do it off and on for like the last two years. I'm so bad in the morning. I need eight hours sleep. So mm-hmm. I don't get my eight hours. I'm, you know, I'm cranky and I'm tired. But I started really, really focusing on it about eight weeks ago. How have you felt since? I believe in the power of exercise. It's like the best drug for your brain from a, you know, psychologically, physiologically it does all the same things that a drug could do, but with a lot less of the negative uh, effects. So like, how has that affected you? Because I was working a lot of hours in 2021. I mean, 12 hour days, long, long, long days, 12, 14, 16 hour days. And I didn't exercise. How's it been the last eight weeks for you in terms of, you know, having this routine of get up five days, get up early, walk your dog, get on your exercise? It's really good because I get the dog walk over with in the morning. So I don't feel guilty about not walking the dogs because I was raised Catholic. So there's a yep. lot of guilt. Yeah, <laughs> pack, your bags, you go, pack your bags. You're going on a guilt trip. You oh, know, totally. so you know, all of it for everything. You feel, if you don't feel, we're going to make you feel guilty for not feeling guilty. It's like, no, please. <laughs> it's so bad. I'll ask my friends. They'll be like, oh, I feel guilty about whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, were you raised Catholic? How did you know? Because I was too. So I get the guilt thing, but. It is changing my life. Like it is changing my outlook, it's changing my attitude, it's changing my mood, it's changing my energy level. And if I don't do it in the morning, I don't get it done. So I know that every time I roll out of bed in the morning, whether it's five or six, I have to get on the, and also I have to be truthful. I did hire somebody to get up with me at 5 a.m. every morning for the first like four or five weeks. Did they come to your house at 5 a.m.? No, we did a Zoom call. So every morning I had to be on the call at 5.15 until 5.45. So it was a trainer, like a physical trainer. So we started doing minor workouts, abs, or even just stretching. 
And then after I was done that, I'd go down on the Peloton for half an hour. So now I'm not meeting her every day. It's only once or twice a week. And then I go down on the Peloton the other days. Well, every day I'm on the Peloton, but I do a little bit more when I don't meet with her in the morning. So grateful to have the means to be able to do that because you know, it's just kind of pushed me a little bit to get into that habit of waking up at five or six o'clock in the morning. Right. Everybody does better with accountability and what you applied, there was just some accountability and structure. And then now you became more of a habit, so you need less of it. Okay. So last question in your business, and I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. What's been the biggest challenge for you in the last 12 months, given the like incredible growth that you've had with your business? Biggest challenge has been keeping up with all the business and you know, dialing in our system, our client journey. I didn't even know what client journey meant before a year ago, right? And I think because we grew so fast and, you know, I was able to manage $15 million on my own and just have an assistant doing my birthday cards and, you know, closing gifts. And there's no training. As far as I know, you know, within our company anyway, and this is something I think I'm going to bring up, that I know of, there's no industry training to help high producing brokers. Like, what do I do after I get to a certain volume? When do I hire an assistant? What does the assistant do? How much do I pay the assistant? Mm -hmm. You know, I have no education. I mean, I have a GED, you know, and I have a grade 12 English and grade 12 law and the real estate course. And that's it. The school of hard knocks. I mean, that's helped me with my relationship building, but I'm running this huge business now And so what I found that I've been doing is I've been hiring a lot of staff. So I have a high amount of money that I pay out for salaries because I need help. And I think it's better than me struggling and tripping and trying to figure this out on my own because that's what I've been doing. You know, it's amazing and I'm grateful and I'm like amazed that we've gotten to $60 million in volume. But it's like, what do I do from the 15 to the 60? How do I manage the whole thing so that I don't make a mistake to a point where, you know, a client, you know, knock on wood, a client gets into a situation where, you know what I mean? When yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be a lawsuit or a yeah, lost deposit. And, and or, yeah, it, 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 there's so many ways. Well, I will tell you that. So our academy, 10 loans a month, we have coaches that can help you with that. So that like, and we've chatted about this already. So yeah. when, when it's open again, reach out. But you're right. There isn't a lot of training on what to do when you quadruple and then, who do I hire? What kind of structure to put in place? And how do I do it efficiently? So I'm not, you know, it's great that you're willing to spend money on staff, but how do you do it efficiently so that it's good for you and for everybody involved? Not just, yeah. uh, you know, that's really good. Okay. So I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions that you can answer shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I was in foster care from 1987 till 1992. My mom and dad gave up legal custody of me to the province of BC when I was 14. And I was awarded the court till I was aged out at 19. And so from the age of 14 on, this is why there's a whole backstory here of just the challenge with that. So from 14 till 19, what's a movie that you think everybody should watch at least once? I think everybody should watch I Am Sam. I don't know if you have you ever seen it many years ago. I love that movie. That is my favorite movie of all time. And I don't know if it has to do with the fact that my oldest daughter has a developmental disability and also a lot of her friends growing up when that movie was released had autism or like, what's Mm -hmm. the other one? Uh, Down syndrome. Some of her friends had Down syndrome and autism. And so we spent a lot of time with kids that had developmental disabilities. So yeah, I love that movie. It's a good movie. I'm going to have to see it again now that I'm talking about it. I haven't seen it it in a while. So what are three software programs or digital tools you can't run your business without? I am such a dinosaur. So Velocity, which is our more oh, one, yeah, that program. makes sense. 
right? Email and Zoom. And I am trying to figure out how to work Calendly to connect to Zoom because we're spending so much time booking appointments with clients. So that's my next one that I need to figure out. Right. Okay. And what's a book you recommend for our listeners? 100% The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And you know what, if you can't read them, listen to an audiobook and listen to it more than once because small little changes in my business over the last five years is I think also what got me to the point of the catapult. Right. So remember the movie Back to the Future? I put you in the car, send you back to your first, you know, day as a mortgage broker. What kind of advice would you give yourself? I think what I've already spoken about, working on personal development, reading more books around personal development and positive mindset. Okay, so I have this thing where I don't like being told what to do. And it's like a good thing and a bad I, thing. I think that most mortgage brokers would be like, <laughs> would fall into that category. That's why we do what we do. Like, don't tell me where to be, what to, you know. Yeah, that's exactly why I'm a mortgage broker. I don't like anybody standing over my shoulder telling me when to go to the bathroom, telling me when I can do this or that. Like, don't, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell right. me what to do. Well, my friend Graham Hankey of BDM, he used to be a broker. He said to me, you should get Audible and listen to those books, you know, because I told him I had a hard time reading personal development books. I'm like, okay. And then I laughed. And then later I was like, you know what? I didn't do that because I didn't like you telling me what to do. So shout out to Graham Hankey. I should have listened to you when you said to listen to audiobooks because that's what I do now. And also just be a better person. Learn to love yourself. That's another big one. Um, uh-huh. And build relationships with people that I want to do business with. This business is not about shoving your business card in people's faces and telling them that you're a mortgage broker. This business will get you to the next hemisphere if you build positive relationships with people that you want to do business with and want to hang out with. Right. And plus, it makes it more fun to get up every day, get on your Peloton, walk your dog, and then do your mortgage business. Yeah. Exactly. Tie it all together. Okay. So if anybody's trying to find you, how can they find you online? LivianSmith.ca or I'm on Instagram at Lives Mortgage Advice. And we're just starting to see about starting TikTok. So please follow me on TikTok. We haven't quite posted something yet, but my daughter and I are working on it. We're going to get to that. We're going to New York next week. It is the new social media platform. I know. I know. We're going to New York next week for spring break. It's a trip that we planned for 2020. We've had to put it off for two years. So good for um, you. Yeah. So we're going to see. She's 16. So I have a hard time getting her to spend any time with me. Brooke, if you're listening, spend more time with your mom. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah exactly. Spend more time with your mom. This is, uh... <laughs> yeah. So, and we're going to try to do it there. So yeah, follow me on TikTok at Lips Mortgage Advice and I'm on Facebook too. Okay. This has been amazing. Your story of just like struggle and like all of the emotional ups and downs of this and then finding your stride. And even in the midst of a lot of the crap, these situations, it's easy to go either way. You could go like, you know, down the hole, this sucks poor pitiful me, or you could take ownership of it. And what can I control? And you did that. And so my hat tip to you of like, I just, I love what you're doing. So when you, you. You, when we had this conversation, it was before we got on the, I'm like, I want to tell your story. Cause I just was excited to see what you've been doing. And the money side of it's only just that that part is a side effect of the work you did on yourself. Yeah. Right. Like I, I don't want to, we talk about the money because it's like, okay, but that is only a side effect of the work you've done on the personal side to be able to handle that. Otherwise that's secondary to the underlying stuff, the mindset work, you know, the new habits and stuff. So kudos yeah. to you. Yeah. It's been fun chat with you, Livian. Thanks Scott. All right. Thanks again for listening to that conversation. I don't know if you're like me. I was like, man, that was some heavy stuff that Livian had went through and it's inspiring to see when somebody 
goes through this, you know, literally goes through a meat grinder and then comes out the other side and finds, you know, the lesson in it, finds the will to continue to push. I absolutely love this conversation with Libby and it's so inspiring. In this next segment, I'm going to be talking to Ben from Bloom about three common reverse mortgage misconceptions. Hey, Ben, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, how's it going? So, hey, let's talk about the three most common misconceptions of reverse mortgages that you run into, you know, when you're talking to people. I'd be interested to hear about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as great as reverse mortgages are, they're still a bit misunderstood by certain people, right? You know, people have their concerns. They have misconceptions about the product. And we spend a lot of time kind of addressing those concerns when we talk to customers. So the first one that we get a lot is just reverse mortgages are too expensive. It's just a really expensive product. That used to be the case, right? Like if you go back to the 1980s, you know, you're looking at reverse mortgage rates in the mid-teens. And, you know, if home prices aren't rising all that much, yeah, it's going to be a rough product to get into, right? The reality is today is you can get a reverse mortgage under 5% in Canada today. Average rate is around 6%, which is, yeah, maybe a little bit more expensive than getting your traditional, you know, prime TD uh, mortgage. But, you know, that is not available to everybody, right? And then the one thing I would say especially is that you really have to compare the cost of reverse mortgage to the alternative, right? Which in most cases is the opportunity cost if folks have to sell their home, right? Right, right. So just like a kind of quick example on that, right? So say you get a $500,000 home, a 40% loan to value ratio, 6% reverse mortgage rate. That's going to cost about 70K over five years, okay? Mm-hmm. But say instead somebody sold their home and that home grew at 5% per year over five years, that's $140,000, right? Mm-hmm. So that's 2X the cost. If home price goes with 10%, which is probably closer to what it's been for most folks in the last five years, that's a $300,000 decision. You really have to think about the opportunity cost relative to the actual interest cost of the reverse mortgage. Right. And I always think, you know, when it comes to real estate, the best holding period is forever, as Warren Buffett used to say. I don't live in regret, but I think about the real estate that I've owned and sold over the last 20 years. I'm like, man, if there was a way that I could have held on to more of it, like, you know, if you ask the average client or even person who's getting a reverse mortgage, hey, if you could have owned your neighbor's house the same time you bought this one, what would your financial situation look like? And most people be like, oh my gosh, like, man, that would be amazing. Right. So you're right. There's the opportunity cost. And then because of the way the product's designed, it's also a cash flow thing. And the rates are very competitive now compared to what they used to be. But it's also cash flow is something that people live in the monthly payments. And yeah. so with a reverse especially mortgage. Especially in a high inflation environment. Uh, high inflation yeah. environment, fixed income. We're like, okay, your income's not going up, but your expenses are going up. Where is that money coming from? So you sell your exactly. property, which then means you exit the property ladder, which then no more appreciation. Probably paying rent that's only going to go up over time. But instead, you can do something like a reverse mortgage and just improve cash flow. We're not saying this is for every single person, but for the right client, they are fantastic. Okay, so that's the first one. What's the next sort of misconception that people have when it comes to reverse mortgages? Yeah, so the second one is some folks have confusion about, you know, will I still own my home? Can I lose my home? Do you own my home? So it's just sort of general misconceptions and confusion around what the ownership situation is in the home after reverse mortgage. So just like, first things first, absolutely, you still own your home, you own 100% of your home, you have total control over your home, you have, you know, 100% of the upside, if your home goes up in value, even better than that, with a reverse mortgage relative to traditional mortgages is that you have a lot of protections, right? So as a lender, we have no rights to call that loan, really, until you are ready to move out or sell your house. So there's no lender callability, no matter what happens to interest rates, to your home value, to the mortgage balance over time, that's really set it and forget it. And the only thing that you know you as a homeowner needs to do is pay your property taxes, home insurance, and keep your home in good repair. So you still own your home and you have total control. And so a lot of people actually, once they wrap their heads around that, you know, they get a lot more comfortable with the product. Right. It makes sense. And property taxes are one of those weird ones where even taxes get paid even before mortgage companies. 
So this is why mortgage companies like yourself always want to make sure your taxes are paid, right? Like you don't want yeah. somebody having a big tax bill. But okay, okay that makes a lot of sense. In 99.9% of situations, that wouldn't come up. And it's not called. I know people who've had lines of credits and again, nothing against a line of credit, but they had, you know, either financial situation turned and they just get called. The bank says, hey, we want our money back. And they're like, what do you mean you want money? Yep. You got 30 days. You know, this happened to very close friends of mine that had some business downturn, like never missed a payment. And they just said, no, we're concerned about your ability to make payments. So we're calling it today. This was a secured line of credit against real estate and there's nothing they could do. And yeah. so that's the difference between a line of credit, right? And the thing is, we may think, well, I'm not going to get myself into trouble. True. But if the bank has financial, they can call it just because they want their money back. So there's not a clause of like, you have to miss a payment with the line of credit. They can just call them. Yeah. I mean, reverse mortgages are specifically designed for seniors to basically put this in place, benefit from it, benefit from the cash flow dynamics and never have to worry about it, you know, until they pass away or until they decide to move out of the house. So it's really designed for this use case. Right. Okay. Awesome. So what's the third kind of misconception that people have when it comes to reverse mortgages? So this one, by far the most common one, the one that we deal with all the time is a reverse mortgage is going to eat away at the equity amount. And I understand why people have this misconception, right? Because it's not intuitive. They know that the balance on the reverse mortgage is going to increase over time. So they figure, okay, so the equity needs to go down. But that is only the case if you think about the home price holding constant or going down over time, right? And the reality is, is that in the vast majority of cases, home prices are going to go up, right? Like they have been going up for a decade upon decade. And one of the most interesting things is you don't need the home price to rise at the same rate as the reverse mortgage to maintain equity you know, in the home. So just for example, like with a 6% reverse mortgage, you know, the crossover point, let's say even like with 3% home price growth would be 14 years. So it would take 14 years with 3% home price growth and a 6% reverse mortgage rate, rate yeah. for home equity to go down by $1. Right. 14 years is a long time when you're 75. <laughs> no. yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So any other sort of thoughts or insights when people bring up the whole eat my equity? Yeah. So same scenario above. You got a $500,000 home, 40% you know, loan to value ratio, 6% reverse mortgage rate. And you've got 3% you know, home price growth. How long do you think it would take till you lose $100,000 worth of home equity? Without a calculator, dude, I couldn't do that math in my head, but probably be a while. Yeah, so it'd be like 24 years. 24 right. years until you lose 100,000. 5% home price growth, it would take 89 years before you lost 100,000 of home equity. So not totally intuitive to people when they know that the reverse mortgage balance is gonna grow over time, that the equity isn't gonna get degraded. But you know, with home price growth, it really does preserve the home equity. And in most cases, home equity is gonna grow over time. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Eight, nine years. If you live that long, well, we can make a documentary about you. You'll make lots of money and then you won't have to worry about any financial issues. If you're 16, you live another 89 years. So, all right, let's wrap this up. So then maybe recap for me, what are the kind of three main misconceptions that you see people bring up when it comes to reverse mortgages? Yeah, really common ones we get are just, you know, reverse mortgage is too expensive for me. You know, concerns about losing their home or ownership of their home and control of their home over time. And certainly, uh, you know, just concerns about, you know, losing equity, equity degradation over time. Uh, these are concerns that people have. But when you have sort of an arsenal of facts behind you, easy conversations to have and assuage those concerns. Right. And so if you guys are listening to this and you're like, hey, I got a client that might be a good fit for a reverse mortgage, you've got a couple options. One, now you know how to answer those misconceptions, but even better, you reach out to Ben and his team at Bloom Finance, and they'll actually take care of it for you. So, I mean, you do an introduction, they're happy to take that client. They understand all of the nuance of the product. They understand how to answer any of the objections that come up for it. 
and they still pay you. So amazing, you know, what you guys have built. So check out bloomfin.ca. Ben, thanks so much for coming to chat with me, brother. And hopefully people understand a little bit better about reverse mortgages. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks again for listening to my uh, conversations today with Livian and Ben. If you're listening to this and you're like, Scott, how do I improve my mortgage business? I got a tip for you. It's totally free. Go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com. Set up a free power search account. You can power search all of our past episodes, literally keyword right to the moment that somebody speaks a keyword. Check it out at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.